Hi there, my name is Vini. I am a Matthews engineer and in this episode we will take a look at the second part of the sinking of the Titanic. The content of this episode is based on the document published by the Metallurgy Division of the US Department of Commerce's National Institute of Standards and Technology 1998, which is linked in the description of this episode. The last episode we discussed the first aim of the document the investigation and determination of the mechanical and chemical analysis of the titanic steel. In this second episode, we will discuss the second goal, the detailed analysis of the microstructure of the raw iron rivets, and all of the conclusions including the content of the last episode. According to the document, about 3 million hydraulically driven rivets assemble the Titanic, draw from raw ions, which consists of pure iron within about 2 to 3% of iron silicate's lag. In the document in the figure 7, it's possible to see the metallography image, which shows nearly 9% of slag on average, being more than 3 times higher than the expected and it's possible to note them into two types of distribution large stringers and small oblate spherical particles considering the mechanical behavior the author is referring that the tensile strength of the raw ions is anisotropic the parallel tensile strength to the silicate stringers is higher than in the perpendicular direction but in the material uh, the, the tensile strength to failure is lower in the transverse direction than in the longitudinal direction, which is explained by the microstructure within slag particles taking up space in the ferrite. Thus, at low temperatures the silicate slags can fracture and nucleate cracks in the iron, causing the same effect of the sulfide manganese we have discussed in the last episode. In the transverse reaction, the slag layers can crack and nucleate cracks. The authors also say that upon the impact, the rivets lose their heads and tend to poop out of their holes, something that is missing in the two analyzer rivets and as can be seen in the figure 8 of the document from the RMS Olympic after collision with Hawk. So, Loss of rivets resulting in the parting of seams and water leakage seems to be the cause of the sinking of the Titanic. They say that the two rivets have this leg stringers distribution aforementioned and both without heads, which could have contributed to degrade their mechanical performance. And it's important to remember that they only analyze two of three millions rivets and at the moment of the written document they will look for more samples and check if if it was a reality for the majority of the rivets they also emphasize that not all the rivets needed to have this undesirable microstructure feature to cause the sinking but if the load was applied into the joint where rivets are fixed Failure of a small amount of rivets could transfer the load onto the remain intact rivets. The differences in the load transferring would cause a stress level in the neighbor rivets, propagating the failure of the joint. 
then they finalized that the microstructure of these rivets is the most important quantitative metallurgical factor to the sinking of the Titanic. Hey, sorry for interrupting, but don't forget to like this episode, the podcast on your favorite platform, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'd love if you could share it with your friends and family. Besides, if you have any question or are wondering about a subject, send me an email that is in the description of the podcast. Before the conclusions, they discussed the effect of the residual stress which is created at the moment that the rivet cools and shrinks, being partially reduced by the plastic deformation. They mentioned it cannot change the tensor strength of the material but could have contributed to the behavior of the rivets during the impact. Besides, it influences the amount of the plate deflection that would be required to fail the rivets. Since the presence of residual tensile stress decreases the amount of the additional stress to fail the material. Then, the higher the residual stress, the higher the tendency of the rivets to pop during the collision. About the conclusions, I I will read for you because they have already simplified. The first one, they still use it to construct the Iron Man's Titanic hull, though adequated in strength possessed a very low fracture toughness at ice water temperatures. The second one is the low toughness was likely due to a complex combination of factors, including low manganese content and low manganese carbon radio, a large ferrite grand size and large and coarse perlite collines. The third one, there is evidentially a large variation in properties among the 2000 plates that made up the hull of Titanic. This conclusion is based on the very different microstructure and fracture behavior observed in the two plate samples recovered to date. This is a normal result of a variability of feedstock and rolling condition in turn of the century ironworks. The fourth one, this variability makes it difficult to determine the effect of sulfide manganese particles and microcracks in the sinking of the ship. An analysis of the actual plates involved in the collision would be required for more firm determination. The fifth one, it's possible to brittle steel contributed to the damage at bow due to the impact with the iceberg, but much more likely that the brittle steel was a factor in the breakup of the ship at the surface. They discussed this in the Forensics final report, which is the seventh references that they have in the document. So if you want more know more about this, just check it out. The sixth steps could have been taken to heat treat the steels to improve its fracture properties, but this knowledge was simply not available in 1911. The seventh one, the mica structure of the rivets that involved during their being driven into place with the slag stringers oriented perpendicular to the tensor axis may have been a direct contributor to the type and distribution of damage to the hull. This aspect is under further investigation. And the last one, given the knowledge base available to engineers at the time of the ship's construction, it is the author's opinion that no apparent metallurgical mistakes were made in the construction of the RMS Titanic. I hope you have enjoyed. Thanks for listening. See you in the next episode.